just have never felt more empowered and more like in touch with my primal fucking god goddess power than in the moment of giving birth to my second son at home. I mean, it was that experience. And I'm not telling women that they should do what I did, but I want people to know that they can have this experience. Um, it has stayed with me through every hardship. I mean, I've gone through a lot, I've, you know, a lot. I've been to like super dark places, losing my second husband to suicide and mental illness. Like I've gone to like just deep, deep despair, but I still, I still hold on to so much strength and, and, and looking back, reflecting on, on what I did that day, you know? And, um, and I think it's an opportunity that many women don't know that they have when you go into a hospital setting and choices are made for you and you give up your power because that's what we're told to do. Doctors know best. And I just think it's like, it's just seeing things a different way. I mean, I think one of the things that's most powerful about that film is seeing women give birth on their own terms. You know, images that you don't get to see very often, if ever, um, is really, really powerful for so many people. My guest today is Ricky Lake. She is an actress, daytime talk show host, documentarian, and now a fellow podcaster. Ricky is one of the most recognizable figures today whose rise to prominence started in the late 80s when she played the lead role in the musical comedy Hairspray, and she would then become the host of her very own talk show at 23 years old, making her the youngest person to ever do so at the time. However, behind the scenes, Ricky struggled with drastic weight changes, depression, and bouts of hair loss that caused a lot of pain, which she hid from the world. Now, she's living her best life. After opening up about her hair loss and shaving her head on social media, she said she felt liberated and is now taking charge of her own narrative. The full conversation coming up. Ricky Lake, thank you so much for joining Imposters. Pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. Okay, we're going to uh, rewind to fast forward. What got you interested in acting and show business in the first place? I was that kid, that little kid that loved to perform. You know, we're talking like three, four years old in my living room to all my relatives. I, you know, I was exposed to, to Broadway and theater at a really young age. My grandmother would bring me to every show. I remember my first, one of my first Broadway shows was the Pirates of Penzance. I saw Grease on Broadway, but it was really Annie when I was like about six or seven years old. I saw Annie and that was like a, an epiphany for me. Like I saw girls that were around my Stage, on stage singing, you know, it's a hard knock life. And I was like, I need to do that. And, um, yeah, I didn't, I, you know, I started singing lessons when I was young and started performing, but I wasn't like, like the typical kind of kid. I was overweight. I was awkward. I was, you know, I didn't have a particular look, but I really loved the idea of winning over an audience, you know? And, um, you know, this, this metamorphosis that I've had this like 35 plus year career that's gone in many different directions. Um, to say I'm living out this like dream of mine, I did never, I never anticipated it would be what it, what it has been. Um, but I, I, you know, yeah, I definitely wanted to be famous and, and a performer. Yeah. And, you know, something that you've talked a, a decent amount about publicly, and I just want to drill into is, you know, following Hairspray, you became the host of your own daytime talk show. And the craziest part about it just, and I'm sure when you reflect on it, it's pretty wild to think about it, is like you were 24 
when mm-hmm. you started I was that 23. Show. I got the pilot and, and did the pilot and got the show at 23. Okay, even more ridiculous. So you were 23 and I believe it made you at the time, I don't know, still the youngest person to host a syndicated program. Yeah, somewhere around that. So, I mean, something like that. Syndication, I think I was the youngest to host my own show. Yes. Yeah. And at the time, it, it's absurd. When I think about it now, my children it's wild. are around that age. You know, the audacity. It was, but, you know, they thought I could do it. Not, you know, if I, 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 my, the way I've always been, and I, my friends to this day say, I'm missing the gene of doubt. You know, I just think if they think I can do it, I can do it, you know? And so it really was one of those things that I was cast into the, into the job. And, and I, I, you know, looking back on it, I, I get why they picked me. I get why I made a good host, you know? Um, but it was not something that I think, you know, I ever anticipated doing in did, my career. Did you, did you have any reservations about doing it when it was put in front of you? Or you were like, I mean, this no. is like a, a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like, did you have any I self-doubt? I needed a job. No, I needed a job. I mean, I was like at a very, like a point in my career where my phone was not ringing. Um, You know, I had been extremely overweight. You know, I I had done a job called China Beach, which you're too young probably to remember, but it was a really, really critically acclaimed, amazing show on ABC about um, the Vietnam War. It takes place in the Vietnam War. And I did one season of that. I bought a house based on me being an actor on the show. I didn't get picked up for for the final season. So I, you know, I was penniless. I lost my house. I mean, it was like this, you know, the crazy story. And, and so this job, you know, I, 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 after, you know, China beach ended for me, I was 260 pounds. I couldn't get my agent to call me back. And I knew I had to make a change. And I went on a huge, huge kind of weight loss journey, lost over a hundred pounds. And that's when this talk show kind of fell into my lap. And I think the story of like my success story in that made me relatable and they picked me for whatever reason. And I just, you know, no, I didn't have any doubt. And I also didn't see it running for years and years and years. I saw it the, as the next job that came along and I'm going to just do my best and see what happens. I feel like there's also, um, you know, a small detail that you've talked about in the past as related to that show that to me just represents like a, a confidence and a desire to be so unapologetically yourself at the time. You talked about how you wouldn't wear the the uh, headphone to hear producers talk to you, which now having you know hosted a, a number of podcasts myself, I can imagine how there's th- always this very difficult tension of like, you know, you want to work it in collaboration with producers, but you also don't want to lose your voice and you don't want to lose like you uh, firing the from the hip and like having the beauty of your own intuition. So it's like such a specific decision you made, but it, it shows a lot about kind of what you wanted out of your experience. Yeah, but I don't think it had anything to do with me, like, you know, being true to my voice. I think it was just distracting for me to have an <laughs> IFB in my ear and have them tell me and take me out. Because it's so much of like telling a story when you're hosting those shows. Yeah. You you need to get, I mean, for, for my show, I can only speak for my show, but it was very formulaic in that you bring out one side of the story, you you tell you tell enough of it that you, the audience wants to see the conflict or meet the other person and hear more. So it's like it's like weaving the story. And so if, if, if a producer came in my ear and said, go here, it would just take me out of that moment. And we, t- we did do our show live to tape. So, you know, it was just, it moved. And so I just felt I was better without someone in my ear, but I, I definitely worked collaboratively with my yeah. producer, but they were on the floor, you know, versus in my totally. ear. And, um, was there a specific episode of the show as you reflect on it that you just like, 
it is the episode that you think back to when you reflect on the show because it was either such a good story that was a, that was told or you thought just the the back and forth you had with the guest was so exceptional like is there one that comes to mind i mean there's so there's so many i did like I don't know, 2,500 yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, but the one, the one that always kind of stands out, it was the first season where they, you know, we wanted to be more kind of news newsy or like, I don't want to say and provocative maybe, but it was like, we had the guy from the Westboro church, uh, Reverend Fred Phelps on that was, you know, so I was 20, maybe just 25, you know, new at this gig, definitely not feeling like I'm Oprah Winfrey. The show is a hit, but I'm still kind of finding my, you know, my way. And it was the first time that a guest on the show disrespected me and he was so crazy and he was so awful. And, and I remember he said, I worshiped my rectum. And I, I didn't understand what he was saying, but really he was basically making a point that I am friends with gay people and I have empathy and, and love for my gay, you know, I'm an ally. Yeah. And he just said something and I threw him off the show. Like I basically kicked him off the stage and it was very dramatic. It was very scary. I was shaking, you know, but that was the first and one of the very few times that I'd been disrespected in that role as talk show host. And uh, I think I grew from that experience for sure. You talk about how you don't, watch a lot of talk shows nowadays. Like uh, you talked about how you watch reality TV. That's one of the genres and you watch Love Island, which is I watch a, a lot of TV. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I watch a lot of TV. You know, I, I, in thinking about it, like I do like Tamron Hall. Like I think she's yeah. really, really, first of all, she's stunningly beautiful to look at. And I think she's she does really a great smart. Job. Yeah. She does do a great job, but like for the most part, I feel like I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess I watch the view. I watch the view sometimes because it's, oh, there's always something that, you know, the fire that goes on between those ladies. But no, I guess I don't. I guess I, I lived it. It was my career for so long. It's, it's not the genre that I turn to when I watch TV. How have you seen the talk show to just evolve as a product since you've done it? Like, how is it different today than when you were doing it? Um, well, the syndication market is so different, you know, just looking at like, we were a, we were the show for young people for years and years and years. We were the show that everyone talked about the next day at school. You know, what did you see on Ricky? And so that can't be anymore in today's landscape. It's so fragmented. There's so many options. We have such a short attention span, myself included, that you just don't get those eyeballs like you did. And so, um, it's a totally different world. Um, and, and yeah, I'm glad I did it when, and, and, and adding to that, like just the, the immediacy of social media and the negativity and everyone's so mean and the trolls and the, I just, I don't know. I feel like I'd be afraid of saying what I really think. Yeah. You, know? you feel like you'd have to walk on eggshells. Yeah. And I, I definitely didn't feel like I had to do that with my old show. I got to be me. Um, I spoke from the heart. I always took the side of the underdog. I always, I loved like what I loved I love telling stories of real stories of real people's relationships. Like I, I'm still curious to this day about just, you know, what goes on behind closed doors with people, you know, what Ellen did and what Rosie did, you know, I, that didn't appeal to me kissing like the asses of celebrities that are making the rounds, promoting their movies. It felt, I love what they did and they were so good at it. It just wasn't my, in my wheelhouse. Like I was better talking to like regular folks about like crazy shit that goes on with them. And I'm, you know, yeah. You've said before that 9-11 was a really pivotal moment in your life. And I think you even painted a picture of 
either I, I think it was the first tower was hit. You were on your roof looking at what was happening. You were a mile and a half away. It was the second tower when the, oh, when was. the plane hit. So, so I was nursing my newborn. I had a two month old. I was living in the West Village, and I was watching the Today Show. You know, as I did every morning, I was breastfeeding, and we saw that what what, what they said was a small plane. So my husband and my four year old and I went to the roof. I gave my newborn to my nanny. Went to the roof of our building, thinking you know, because we had a full view, you know, right of the towers. And my husband was taking pictures with his old school camera and I'm, I'm seeing the other plane flying down the Hudson river. And I said, there's another plane, there's another plane. Oh my God. Oh my God. And the whole thing, we saw the whole thing and saw, you know, then we saw the tower fall that second. I mean, the whole thing was like right there. And yeah, it was a huge turning point in my my life. How so? You know, my, well, in that moment, I remember having like a complete epiphany that I, if I live through this day, I mean, it's one of those things you thought you were going to die, yeah. you know? And I thought if I live through this day, I need to make, I want to make some changes. And it was really a matter of like I, leaving this unhappy marriage, leaving um, this, this show and, and leaving New York. Like I just wanted it to start over. And um, I did, I mean, it took a long time and, 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 but it was for the right reason. Like I, I needed to shift gears and I wanted to do something that was even more impactful in my, in my eyes. I knew my show was impactful and having that platform, I think facilitated me being able to do the work that I think was deep in my heart. You know, the Ricky Lake show definitely was me expressing myself, but I didn't create the show. I didn't even book the guests. I didn't come up with the ideas. Like I was sort of not an actor for hire, but I was, you know, it was definitely an, a machine that I wasn't in control of. And I think I wanted to do something that really was, was, me more personal to me. And that's when I soul searched. It was really about like, where do I think I can make a difference? You know, where can I be impactful? What do I care about? You know? And I was so impacted by my birth experiences, one in a hospital setting and one at home, both with midwives that I wanted to explore that world. And, and that, you know, that journey of making the business of being born to this day. And I think till the day I die will be the most fulfilling work that I've ever done. And it, it came from the trauma of living through 9-11, you know, like, like it's connected. It's like that shift that had, that happened to me probably would not have happened. I would have been continuing to live in New York city and doing that show. You know, I could have been Maury Povich doing that show for 30 years. You know, I really, you know, I love reinventing myself. I love taking on new challenges and I love like exploring things that I'm interested in. And so documentary work is like, I mean, you don't get rich from it. You know, it it really doesn't pay a bill. We have never broken even on that film, that film that's literally been like the seminal film for anyone who's pregnant, not just in this country, but everywhere. You know, it's really been like super, super um, evergreen and important to so many people. but I would never have gone on that journey had 9-11 not happened in front of my eyes. Yeah. I want to drill down for a second on the business of being born because I was talking to um, Tim Ferriss once and something that real that I'll always remember is he talked to me about he how he loves interviewing people who are best in class and experts in their field, but they're extremely specific and esoteric fields where there isn't a lot of money to be made. And the reason he does that is his view is like, that is where you will find kind of like um, unencumbered passion that isn't driven at all by a desire for money, which is kind of like this beautiful filter to look through. And so, you know, you you pointed out like the, the doc 
hasn't broken even. But to me, there's something beautiful in the fact that like clearly you had to give a shit so much about it. What, it wasn't about money. Yeah. So what specifically, and you you mentioned, but I want to get a little bit more like what specifically drew you just to this topic in general? Because there's so many things you could be passionate about. Yeah. And I'm still passionate about it. I'm such a birth junkie and we're coming up on the 15 year anniversary of the business of being born. And it still has like, like the lifespan of this film. It, 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 it's only become more relevant today, you know, with COVID and with like, just, just choice is being stripped, whether you look at, you know, reproductive rights. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's still very much my passion. Um, I, I just have never felt more empowered and more like in touch with my primal fucking goddess power than in the moment of giving birth to my second son at home. I mean, it was that experience. And I'm not telling women that they should do what I did, but I want people to know that they can have this experience. Um, It has stayed with me through every hardship. I mean, I've gone through a lot, you know, a lot. I've been to like super dark places, losing my second husband to suicide and mental illness. Like I've gone to like just deep, deep despair, but I still, I still hold on to so much strength and, and, and looking back, reflecting on, on what I did that day, you know? And, um, and I think it's an opportunity that many women don't know that they have when you go into a hospital setting and choices are made for you and you give up your power because that's what we're told to do. Doctors know best. And I just think it's like, it's just, seeing things a different way. I mean, I think one of the things that's most powerful about that film is seeing women give birth on their own terms, you know, images that you don't get to see very often, if ever, um, is really, really powerful for so many people. I I have an admiration for just your passion for the topic. And I, I think also to your point, it's so remarkable how relevant, even possibly more relevant the film is today, because we live also in an age where the shelf life of content is 24 hours or less. There's like something so beautiful about the evergreenness of it. Um, something I'm as impressed by is your outlook on your life and the life ahead you have for yourself. Because I think, you know, there are so many people who get into, let's call it like the second chapter of their career or like kind of um, post their kids leaving for college, they become empty nesters and they're like, they don't know what to look forward to in their life. And I think in a lot of ways, someone looks at your career and they could imagine, given all of the early career success you had, how easy it would have been for you to have this perception of you peaking, like there's nothing coming after this. So talk through, like when you say that now is now is the time where you're living your best life, why do you have that perception? Where did that come from? Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm not driven like, to stay relevant or to make more money or, to, and, and granted, I have been very lucky. I, I made enough money. You know, I did the talk show. It was very good to me. You know, I don't have the money that Oprah or, or like a lot of these people have, but I'm, I'm like one of these people. I don't need more. Like I, 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 you know, and I, so, so take that out of the, you know, the picture. It's like, okay, so it's not about like, I, it's like, it's all about like what, feeds my soul. You know, what story do I want to tell? You know, my business partner, Abby Epstein and I, you know, we make these films. We haven't, the last one was about birth control. It's a, sort of the bookend piece to the business of being born. It's called the business of birth control. We did another one on cannabis and the medicinal aspects of that plant, particularly when it comes to cancer and children. So these are like important stuff, but like at this point in my life, like I 
COVID was really, again, like a trauma and it was a gift for me. And I ended up meeting this beautiful person who's now my husband. And I moved into this house that I showed you earlier. Like I've been building this house for seven and a half years and I've landed in this spot all during this pandemic. And I'm just like in this place of just peace and contentment. And, and I'm, I, I, I love, and, and like, you know, I shaved my head a few years ago and that was also a huge turning point for me to come to a place of self-love and self-acceptance. Like, I think it's all connected and turning 50, you know, it's like, I, I love myself. I love the shit I've gotten to do in my life and my career. And I love where I'm at now. And I'm not done with like bit the working and stuff, but I, I'm not going to take a job just for the sake of working. You know, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I love my downtime. I love my quiet days. I love getting high with my guy every single night, you know, and, and just slowing it down. You know, it's like, I, I, it's really been like a balance. And so this, this quiet time in my life and I I can't, it's not quiet, but (laughs) it's, it's, and my kids are gone. You know, I'm not that parent that like, cried when they went to college. I couldn't wait. I love my kids. (laughs) I love my kids. They're awesome. And I'm ready for them to fly. And I'm ready to have this time to myself again. And I have now sick, I have four stepkids, grown stepkids, and they're also doing great. And we, our house is like ours and they come and visit and they go to their homes, you know? Totally. I mean, there's so much there. I'm not a parent yet, but I can imagine that when, you know, kids go off, there's this feeling of deep sadness that parents have, or there's also this feeling of if the, this, this almost like this, uh, ironic feeling where if you feel excited about it, are you a bad parent? Because you shouldn't be excited that your kids are going away. But I think to your point, it's like both can exist. You can be a great ass parent who's also super excited for your kids to now kind of use the tools you've given to them over the course of their life, but also know it's like their time to do their own thing and be free slash. Now you have the space to actually do things that you have been able to do over the last yeah. 18 to 21 years. My, my husband, Ross and I, we literally, we, we pinch ourselves. I mean, I live in this, in this super special place where I'm looking at the ocean. I have the, like the bird life that I'm becoming a little Audubon. Like I have my, <laughs> I love, I, I just appreciate just, just, being in nature. I went on a three mile hike with my dog this morning, right outside my door. And I can't believe I I get to live this life. And, and he's, you know, he's 55, I'm 53, wait, I'm 54 now. And yeah, these are the best days, you know, you think when you're a kid, you think 50 is so old and it's, it's not, it's like, I feel like I'm a kid again. And, and I work my ass off. I'm doing that show, being an actor, you know, busting my ass. I love just not having to do that. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, I ask Ricky about how she chooses which projects to work on. Stay with us. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 
And we're back. So far, Ricky has been open and honest about pivotal moments that defined her career and life. I asked Ricky about what ultimately led her to shaving her head and posting it on social media. You mentioned it before, and I just want to talk a little bit more about it. Uh, you had posted on IG in 2019, I believe, uh, where you, you showed the video of you shaving your head. And that was part of your public reveal that you had been battling with hair loss for 30 years, um, going all the way back. Off and to, on, off yeah, and on. It wasn't off and on. an ongoing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Up, like back to when you had played Tracy in Hairspray, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my hair didn't really fall out from hairspray, but it was ruined. Like they stripped it with the peroxide and, you know, that was all my own hair. People don't believe it, but that was my hair. The blonde and the brown was all me. And so my hair was never really the same, but it was years later when I did another movie called Mrs. Winterborn and they put me on a crash diet, which I was used to going on crash diets, but it was like, you know, I lost like 30 pounds in a nine week period, you know, stripping myself of nutrients and then my hair shed, which is very typical, but it was super traumatizing because I was doing my talk show at that time. And that's when I cut my hair really, really short. The seasons, I think it was like season four, you know, I was going for to me more in ghost and it never quite became that. (laughs) I did not pull that off, but yeah, that was, you know, the beginning of me dealing with this kind of secret where I was so ashamed. Um, and I'd go to the hairdressers and I didn't want to see in the mirror because I could see the top of my scalp. And, you know, and, and I know a lot of people who haven't dealt with this, they think, you know, get over it. It's just hair, but women particularly. I mean, when it's, it's such like a core this, part of your identity. Uh, it was really, really challenging for me. I was super depressed. I was very consumed by it. I became OCD. I could like literally feel the hair drop off of my scalp and on my shoulder. And it would, it would just like ruin my day, you know? And, um, so yeah, for many, many years, it's like, I I started wearing extensions, which made it worse and pull out my fine hair. And, uh, at, at the end of 2019, you know, it was really like, I, I'd kind of reached this, the end of my rope where I just needed to do something. And I just, I had to get rid of the extensions. They were just making getting worse and it was hurting. You know, my scalp hurt every time I colored my hair every three weeks to cover the gray, it would burn my scalp. And I was like, you know what? I've had it. And so it was really scary. I think it was one of the scariest things I've ever done. Giving birth at home was nothing compared to like, not just shaving my head, but coming out and telling my story. I was, Why did you decide to do that? I felt like I had no other way. I felt, I, I felt like if I shaved my head and didn't explain what was going on, I felt like people would think I was sick with cancer or that I was having a mental breakdown, like, you know, like Britney Spears. Like, I just, I just didn't want anyone controlling the narrative. I wanted to control it myself. And it wasn't about helping others. It wasn't about, it, it was really just a personal thing that I just needed to like, get, get yeah. like, out of this. I felt trapped. And, um, and, it, and I have to say in that moment, I, and this is this January on the anniversary, January 1st, when I released the video, uh, the, this, my story, I, I showed the video content for the first time this year and I hadn't really watched it. I hadn't even looked back on it. And it was, you could see it in my face. I am like completely liberated and set free in that moment. I have chills just, just talking about it. Yeah. I, 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 I've never looked back. And I think so much of like meeting Ross and, and being ready to receive this man, this level of man, you know, I think so much of it came from me coming to a place of self-love and self-acceptance through that experience. Yeah. And so you would say that in that moment of just taking it off and and talking about it publicly, is that when you would say you kind of came to peace with just 
the context of that you were living in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it was also really nice to be, it was so well received. You know, I did, I, 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 you know, I didn't do this in a calculated move to like get attention. I, I wanted to tell my story. I put it out on Facebook and Instagram. And then I went on Rob, uh, good morning America with Robin Roberts. I wanted to talk only to her because she's a cancer survivor. I love her. I, I find her to be so just genuine and authentic and I felt safe with her. And that was it. That's the only press I did about it. And it was really just the, the reaction and just the, the support. I was afraid people were going to make fun of me. I thought Howard Stern was going to call, you know, I thought like, I thought the worst and honestly, people, it struck a nerve. It got so much attention that, you know, now, I mean, I see like people are talking about it, not that it, be, it was because of me, but I feel like it opened the floodgates and then COVID happened. And so many people are dealing with hair loss from COVID and then people aren't coloring their hair. You know, I stopped coloring my hair and that's like one of also one of the best things I ever did. I truly, I, for years, I hated, hated, hated my hair. And now I actually love it. You know, I look in the mirror and, you know, I know I, I look 54. I am 54. I mean, it's just cool to see how just energized you are about all of this. Yeah, I really, I really am like, I'm okay. I'm okay with everything I got, you know, I'm That's okay awesome. with what I weigh. I'm okay with like, you know, it's like it, you get to a point in your age when you appreciate that your body works, you know, I'm super, super healthy. I take good care of myself and I have a lot of fun. So I want to just for a second talk about kind of like your career at the 10,000 foot level, right? You, you've spent so much time in your career, let's call it at the ground level, just like working, working, working to push things forward. And I want to take you to like the, the top of the building, looking at the city that is your career. I, you know, when I look at the arc of your career, it looks almost in a lot of ways what I think a career should look like, which is there isn't this like master plan. It's like there's just these intuitive decisions that feel right at every point in time based on the options that are put in front of you. So just based on like this amazingly, I would say just a colorful career you've had doing so many different things. How would you describe kind of the thought process you've had as it comes, as it's come to just like you making your career decisions and going from one thing to the next? I would say that it hasn't been calculated at all. Like, you know, John Waters plucked me from obscurity. He picked me to be Tracy. I was Tracy Turnblad, but that character was, was exactly who I was at that time in my life. Um, I, I can't say like, I've been strategic about anything. Um, I mean, maybe the documentaries, but like, but, but again, like I never see the forest for the trees. Like I, my partner, Abby is more of a visionary and can see the big picture. I, just either have a personal experience, have a curiosity and like, let's go, let's do it with weed the people. I mean, that movie, I was, I was so not into cannabis. I wasn't into plant medicine. I was like, I was, I, I joked that I was like a disciple of Nancy Reagan back when I did my show. I was like, <laughs> you know, just say no to drugs. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm like, full on with maps and, you know, doing all kinds of plant medicine and being, I mean, I'm, I've gone 180, but I just think my career has just taken these twists and turns and I've just been open and like, you know, thinking, okay, I can do it, you know, but nothing's been like, oh, I'm going to be a talk show host now. No, that kind of, that opportunity came to me and I happened to perform and deliver, you know? Um, but I love that. I, you know, I, like I said, reinvention is so, 
it's so fun for me to prove to myself and like even doing dancing with the stars, like becoming a freaking ballroom dancer, you know, was, was a huge accomplishment. It was a huge journey to go on. I loved it. It was so hard and it's a proud, proud moment for me. And then, you know, I'm trying like, like other things I've done, like, you know, I just, I just feel like I surprise myself and I hope that I surprise others, you know? Well, let's talk even just about the podcast today. So you're a podcaster now. You have Raised by Ricky. Talk a little bit about the show and why you decided like it was the time to start a podcast. Yeah, because I'd been asked to do a podcast for like a long time. You know, they've been around forever and I'd, I'd meet with all these companies and I just it didn't feel... I don't know. I just felt like I didn't have as much to, that much to say. And so it was Lemonada, Lemonada Media, which is a company that is so f- badass. They are so cool. The content they produce, their intention behind everything they do. And they approached me with this concept of, of looking back at my old show and, um, you know, really reflecting on what we were able to do, you know, the culture back then, historically, you know, I mean, it just just things that I never really, like, had reverence for. I mean, I was doing it day in and day out. And yes, like, like we were able to tell these stories about gay relationships in a way that hadn't been done before and how that impacted people. So it's been super fun. And Kaylin Allen is my co-host. He's amazing. He's this amazing young guy that I wasn't familiar with before I started working with him. He's so talented. He's from Ellen, you know, Ellen kind of discovered him from, from his YouTube videos on food, food critiques. He's hilarious, but he's also really super interesting and clever. And so it's been so much fun. Someone who didn't grow up watching my show, but his reflections on looking back at episodes, it's just, it's just been a great thing. And I think for anyone that grew up with the show, it's, it's just a really good time to go back and, and from a nostalgic, you know, place and, and look back on on what we were able to do back then. You know, there's some, I'd say amazing parts of having a podcast. You know, one of the things it's like, you can scale a podcast to an infinitely sized audience because, you know, any device on planet earth that can download a podcast can listen to you. It's also, you can build like a really intimate relationship with your listener because when you have in your ears, someone's voice time and time again, like it builds an incredible relationship more so than a lot of content. But I would say it's very different from your days doing a talk show because you don't have a live audience that's live reacting to what you're putting out into the world and receiving feedback from them. Do you miss having a live audience? How do you keep your cup full without having that constant feedback from an audience? That's a good question. I don't I don't really miss it. I mean, I loved like like the, the energy that was my show was magic. It was just, you know, the, the audience was a another character in the show, you know? Um and it was a party. Like I was just talking, we we had my old producer Andrew Share on uh, just yesterday, and we were telling stories. So I, to answer your question, I don't miss it, but I really I appreciate it in a way that I don't think I did back then. You know, looking back on it, um, I feel like it's the best of both worlds doing this podcast now because we do get to reflect on what we did back then. I get to be in my underwear, like literally, I do it from here in my underwear. I don't wear any makeup. I don't have to, you know, look a certain way, and I. I get high pretty much. I take an edible almost pretty much every time. Uh, I didn't take one today with you, but like, it's just play. It's just fun. And yeah. it's, I, I think we need that. I mean, it's just, there's so much bad shit in the world. It's so depressing when you look big picture. I mean, 
it's overwhelming to yeah. see to see just the suffering that's going on in the world and I can get really, really dark. So I just I, I think it's great to do content that's lightening things up and you know yeah. So I I mean even just for me, selfishly, I'm enjoying this job, you know, it's, it's super fun and, and rewarding for me to look back on what we were able to do and talk to really interesting people and dissecting episodes. And I love it. like, it's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a really fun, fun experience. I have one last question for you. And, um, it may sound like very specific and niche, but I actually think it's never been a more popular topic to talk about. So, I can't remember when the the poll was run, but basically there was some poll run with uh, teenagers asking them or kids asking them when they, what they wanted to be when they grew up. And the most recent poll was people saying number one answer was being a YouTuber, um, which is both, I would say, exciting to me and oddly terrifying. Um, we live in an age where things are increasingly commoditized, which means that I would say like one of the best ways to stand out, differentiate yourself, even find a career is through storytelling, through creating content, through building an audience. And I think at the core of all of that is, how do you have the right tools in your toolkit to be a great storyteller? What makes a great story? How can you create great content? So if there are listeners of imposters out there who are thinking about whether it's hosting a podcast, hosting an interview show, being some sort of storyteller online, from your just incredibly successful career of doing this in different forms. What are your biggest recommendations you would have for being a great storyteller or a great creator of content? Well, I think it's being really comfortable in who you are and having a good sense of self and being and, and, and interviewing. It's being a good listener. You know, I mean, I think that's something, you know, you can't necessarily teach. You have to be really just naturally curious and, and passionate. And I think, um, having a real good sense of who you are and knowing what your voice is, is, is really key. I think. I love it. Ricky Lake. Thank you so much for joining imposters. This was fun. Oh, so nice to talk to you. Thank and you. You, could, Alex. you could have taken an edible if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I, could have. I just forgot. I forgot. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> After my conversation with Ricky Lake, I learned that she's one of the most authentic people that you can meet. One of the things that really stuck out to me was how she made the moves throughout her career. There wasn't any kind of master plan or calculated steps. It was simply her following her passion and having strong, unshakable desire to share stories of herself and of others. With how dark and sad reading the news can be, Ricky has always been a beacon to bring more light into the world, and she certainly still practices that today. Thanks so much for listening. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our producers are Michaela Heck and Raymond Liu. Greg Jacobs is our video producer, and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineer is Rosemary Minkler. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. <laughs>